Swing Pass is back. It is Wednesday, February 16th. I'm Adam Ruffner, and I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Cohen. Daniel, the last few episodes, I've just sort of launched straight into news. We've had so much to tackle. (laughs) It's time to slow down, ask you, how is it actually going this week? It's going good. Uh... The weather is weirdly warming up in Chicago, at least however brief that's going to end up being. But yeah, things are good. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to just keep seeing these signings trickling in. I feel like we've had so many of these, I mean, not so many, but a good chunk of like blockbuster free agent signings, guys moving teams around. And I just, I'm eager for more of that. And I'm just, I want to see if there's, you know, a few more that could trickle in as as teams continue to release their rosters. I think you and I both know of a couple names floating out there that can't quite be divulged as... We've heard, we've heard some rumors. As sure. public info, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I definitely think those are going to be some major additions to playoff contenders. But you're right, it's already been a super active offseason so far of basically all-star movement. Uh, UltaWorld had an article this week... Uh, written by Alex Rubin about kind of the the name the big name movement this off season and just mm-hmm. how volatile the market has kind of been so to speak um, and that that continues this week although this week isn't quite the sort of home run hitters that have been going on the last few episodes that we've been talking about the AUDL free agency heading into 2022 but. These pieces feel like the kind of players that are are endemic to like a championship roster, right? Like if you want to win games, you kind of have to add pieces like a Tyler Monroe that DC just re-signed for the first time since 2017. Uh, Marquez Brownlee that's coming back to New York for the fourth season. Uh, in Indy, they got back Keegan North after Chicago rented him essentially for a year in 2021 on their final four run. Uh, North, of course, being instrumental in that Alley Cats offense in their 2019 championship weekend run and one of the better kind of hybrid offensive players in 2018 and 2019. Um, There's just a lot of kind of meteor. I don't want to call them rotation guys, but they're, it's like not quite stars or not quite stars yet or or yeah i don't know it, they're it, like they're on the cusp of stardom i feel like or they're, they're you know they're they're a level teams. you know yeah, they're a level like below silly. but still right it's a silly nomenclature thing but i think i get hung up on it sometimes <laughs> but i i think to kind of sure. start it off and and someone who i think could really become a star uh as I mentioned a moment ago, DC re-signing Tyler Monroe, who hasn't been with the Breeze since 2017. Monroe, of course, that season, throwing 46 assists in the playoffs and regular season combined, adding another 30 goals. With the departure of Joe Merrill from this DC offense, feels like they got a, a sort of supercharged upgrade of that downfield presence with Monroe. Um, I know you're not quite as familiar with him because his timeline precedes a little bit your your knowledge of the AUDL, but he was a main hitter for that Breeze offense, particularly in 2017 in his second year. And 
that Breeze offense was a lot more trigger happy, a lot less kind of managed and efficient as the one that Monroe will be joining in 2022. What do you think of this sort of already efficient Breeze offense that sort of has this almost diamond four-handler set getting a weapon like Monroe downfield to potentially pair with Joe Richards and Jock Nissen. Like we we've been hyping up all these big New York signings. This, this DC edition feels like a response in a major way. Yeah. I, it's interesting. Cause I feel like I, I think it was last episode. We talked a lot about DC's offense and if you could point to any one need for them. And, and obviously we've talked off air about this stuff a bunch, but yeah, the idea that like New York had the ability to really lean on their stars when games mattered and DC, it felt like because they were so focused on their handler driven offense, it almost backfired at times. Like it almost became a little too limiting for them and maybe predictable later in games and nothing against Merrill as an O-line cutter last year, but when he got the disc, there wasn't really a threat of him attacking downfield with his throws. You know, it was kind of like a given that the disc would get dumped back. They'd reset their offense and then again, just work through the handlers. But upgrading to a guy like Monroe, I mean, yeah, I I haven't watched so much of him personally, but just from what you've told me and from what I've gathered, he is sort of that, that next level hybrid that can do a lot with the disc in his hands and isn't just strictly a downfield cutter, but can also get involved in the backfield and obviously is just a a sort of like this striker attacker on offense. And, you know, I I have some, some concerns over the DC offense, like if they dramatically change their identity to all of a sudden become more of their 2018 or 2019 selves when they had Rowan sort of playing that role, but it doesn't hurt to just get another really capable thrower on the offense Um, and so I, you know, it's like, like we said before, if you, if you had to point to one thing that DC might be missing, it was sort of this piece. So I, I would be very excited for the breeze offense prospects in 2022. Yeah. It just feels like they get that kind of dictation downfield playmaker that they lacked a little bit in the second half of that playoff game against Raleigh. Cause they, Mm -hmm. DC had an early lead. They just... Raleigh's sort of rotation after rotation of defenders and the way in which their uber efficient offense just sort of grinds throughout games. It just puts so much pressure on DC's offense to, mm-hmm. to literally make plays. You know, you can't just sit there and kind of swing the disc around as much as that kind of possession based offense worked in the regular season. I think you need to be, as we've talked before on the show, you need to kind of show that potential to strike downfield. And with the expected re-signing of Joe Richards and now Monroe, it just feels like, you know, obviously New York kind of, I think, holds the the pole position as far as downfield playmakers with Ben Yad and Ryan Osgar and Jack Williams, et cetera, et cetera. And now Antoine Davis, uh, DC now feels like is is right there with them on that playmaking level. Yeah. They, they both have phenomenal rosters of playmakers. And yeah, it feels like the Monroe signing might be enough to sort of bring DC up to that, 
that level that New York is capable of. Whether or not they do it every game, like I still expect their handler-driven offense to remain mostly their identity. But yeah, just like having this option, I think it it just opens things up more for that offense. And I'm curious to see, you know, exactly how much of a green light Monroe has, you know, what his role actually looks like. Because I feel like Garrett Braun and Jacques Nissen, they're both very capable throwers too, but it's just they didn't really have the green light to huck so much in 2021. Like that just wasn't, that wasn't their thing. You know, they were just very content to play super possession based. So when you have a guy like Tyler Monroe, I feel, I feel like it's going to be tempting to just let him do his thing. But, you know, we'll see what Daryl ends up doing with that system. I feel like it's hard to go wrong whatever direction they go, you know. Man, if Nissen takes even another mini step forward, kind of like he did this last year, and, like, watching him play college right now, it, it seems like he is. Uh, they might add even another playmaker, a true playmaker to that offense. I think Nissen has been excellent as far as – uh continuation piece in that offense but they haven't really asked him to go out and make plays in particular spots right like he's always existed as sort of this fantastic cleaner fish piece uh sort of that keeps the offense humming but if they add monroe and then nissing kind of takes a maturation step forward like dc is gonna be hell to deal with in the east yeah, it's also it's just more depth too. So like when you know if any injuries happen to that offense, we saw last year when Zach Norbaum missed a chunk of games. Like it was Nissen that just kind of slotted right into that backfield role, uh, and then just having this added depth now, Monroe can shift over to Nissen role. Um, yeah, it's can also it's a good spot to a backfield. Yeah, sure. In a red I, zone, he's dangerous in a red zone than a handler set. Yeah, their red zone offense, I think, is going to be among the most efficient in the league, I would expect. Yeah, yeah. They just have so many of the pieces that you want for those tight space conversion opportunities. Yeah. But, you know, we talk about them kind of in this arms race with New York. New York also announces over the weekend the re-signing of Marquez Brownlee for a fourth year. Uh Marquez, of course, known as kind of like this defensive playmaker, but I I wrote about it in an article a couple months ago now about the most underrated players. I really feel like as just a player, Brownlee is rounding into his sort of like true self. He was asked to do more as far as far as like a coverage role and just general, I think, playing time in 2021 than he's ever had before. Um, on that New York team, he was kind of asked to be the second defender behind Babbitt on that New York D-line. And I just thought he was very impressive covering a lot of teams, downfield playmakers. Um, he was drawing Orion Cable at times, uh, CJ Calicchio on the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds, like bigs who like to run around in space. Um, and, you know, Brownlee covered them adeptly uh they use him in double team sets and he can get hand blocks he was the second leading puller in the league in 2021 it just feels like he's one of those defensive players who continues to evolve slowly year after year and kind of add a little bit of refinement to all the tools in this tool bag um and 
now potentially getting to play with not only Babbitt, but Antoine Davis on the D-line for New York. Uh, <laughs> Empire just kind of having way too many riches as far as takeaway artists on that defensive rotation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I, I hope, I hope you're right. I hope Antoine plays defense, but yeah, MKB was taking a lot of tough matchups last year. And I feel like he, I mean, I'm looking at his stats now. It's hard to believe he only had one recorded block in 2019. Uh, Watching him last year, like he was all over the field. Like he is sort of, developing that next level instinct as a defender i feel like and obviously very willing to throw his body around tons of layout blocks and skies like he is incredible athletically and yeah i think his his just general field sense is getting better and and making more sense within the empire system so i i'm excited to see where he keeps developing but again yeah if antoine comes over to that d-line it's just it's gonna make everyone's lives that much easier um, just another big guy to take on those deep matchups. Yeah, I I just continue to be impressed with Brownlee's ability to sort of slowly add to his game while developing inside this system that's asking a lot. You know, New York, as he joined the team in 2018, began its sort of championship weekend run that it sustained the past three seasons and will probably sustain into a fourth. Um, and so for him to kind of mature within that system that's already, you know, very uh, mistake-adverse, um, I, yeah. I think shows a lot for his potential as he still, you know, is yet to hit 30, so he's still within his prime. Um, and again, New York just adds further to an already star-studded lineup that is now about 10 deep as far as championship-level uh, players you want in any kind of rotation. So New York's starting to feel like the favorites in 2022, but as we kind of keep hinting, uh, Raleigh, the 2021 champions and, and a team that seemed to have all the momentum in the world towards the end of the season, they haven't announced their roster, but they kind of do a a huge dump all at once. um, As far as announcing who's playing for the flyers and, it's kind of to be expected, I think, that they'll be back in contention this year. So I don't know. Continuing a <laughs> ramble, I just I, I feel like yeah, it's way too early for any predictions. But New York is obviously in a great spot as they continue announcing guys. And kind of shifting to a potential playoff contender in the central division. Some interesting news as uh, Keegan North rejoins the Indianapolis Alley Cats after spending a year at the Chicago Union. Uh, North, of course, being instrumental in the 2019 Alley Cats offense to finish fourth in overall team efficiency on offense. Um, He averaged uh, like 35 assists and 25 goals a year in 2018 and 2019 with Alley Cats. Uh, he just feels like one of those X-Factor playmakers that makes kind of any offense a little bit better with him in it. Um, and as I tweeted out on Twitter, uh, with the re-signing of North, the Alley Cats now have five of their seven starting offensive players from that 2019 semifinal Alley Cats roster. So after only having, I believe, six returners at the beginning of the 2021 season, 
the Alley Cats now have almost a full rotation on their offense, let alone a bunch of re-signings on D-line. There's more stability to their roster. There's these interesting uh, rookies from 2021 that I expect to develop in the Alley Cats system. It, it just feels like there's a lot of indicators pointing suddenly up for Indy heading into 2022, and it feels like they may be back in contention for that third playoff spot in the Central with Pittsburgh and Madison. Yeah, I I can see it. I mean, the, the North signing is huge, and Keegan had a really weird year for Chicago this past season. It just felt like because there was so many mouths to feed on that offense, like he wasn't really in a featured role a lot of the time. They had him in the backfield some. Uh, they tried him out downfield periodically. I mean, you, you he definitely had his fair share of highlights. Like he, he would break deep and, and still has hucks in his tool belt that he would show off at times. But in general, it felt like the, the Keegan we saw in Indy was just like a completely... He was on a completely different level. Um, he was arguably their like most talented player in 2019. It was basically him and Carpenter running most of the show on offense. And to get that back, to get you know one of your top two players back from that championship weekend run, I think it's it's huge, especially for the team that did lose so much of its roster after that 2019 season. And remember, Cam Brock also, you know, barely played in 2021. I think he played four games total. Right. Didn't start the season with the team. Um, so just seeing this this commitment from the onset from Brock and Keegan North heading into 2022, um, I think it, it bodes really well for their chances. And I, I'm excited to see them compete. I mean, they, they did play a lot of close games in 2021. You know, they only lost to... Minnesota by one that one game I think they lost to Madison by one once or twice um they like they hung in there a lot I think we we could just see sometimes down the stretch the inexperience and maybe lack of complete roster cohesion uh sort of showed itself late in those games but generally I mean I I think they could compete with any of these central division teams on any given week so obviously just you know, additional playmakers to add to that offense. I, I think that puts them in a really nice spot. So kind of piggybacking off of this, there were a couple of Detroit re-signings announced as well. The mechanics reclaiming Mark Witten and Nate Champeau for 2022, both players playing previously with the mechanics years prior to 2021. Uh, Witten being kind of an offensive weapon tall lanky kid likes to go down field uh shampoo has been in the audl scene a turnover machine uh that, that is on the d-line he's been great at generating takeaways he was third overall in the 2016 season with 34 blocks um he's become more of an offensive threat as he's evolved in his personal career and it's been you know four or five years since he's played it in the professional league. It'll be interesting to see if mechanics has continued announcements and additions. If they get closer and closer to that notion of who can they pick off at the bottom of that central division and possibly leapfrog and maybe even make themselves into a contender in the early part of the season for, you know, third in the central division. 
it it's feeling more and more like just this all in year for Detroit. I mean, they like consistency in their roster has been their biggest issue by far as a pro team. Like they just they never have a ton of turnover. I mean, in recent years they've had more than in past years, but I don't know, seeing these names pop up again with Mark Witten and Nate Champo, like these guys aren't, you know, they're not like mainstays of the mechanics, but the fact that they're they're coming back and have had some pretty productive seasons, it's almost like Detroit's assembling this like this all-time mechanics all-star team. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Almost. Yeah, almost. Uh, yeah, just like seeing these guys come back. I mean, Bansfield obviously is their their biggest signing, but you know, the combination of bringing these talented players back that have had productive seasons and then retaining guys like you know, Qubit, Brian Walsh, the guys that we saw a lot last year. Um, you know, I more and more just I feel like the more they announce signings, the more I believe that they will finally break the streak this year. Here, here's what's got my curiosity meter peaked. Uh, you want to know the last game that Nate Champo played in? Oh, it was, was it, April twenty ninth against the Chicago Wildfire? The All then right. Chicago well, why, Wildfire. That's why he's it was. Back. 23 to 14 Detroit mechanics. The last time Blowout. the mechanics won a professional AUDL game. Yeah. Well, that's why he's back. Yeah. Run I'm back. just saying, I, you know, we yeah. don't, I think believe in any kind of voodoo or anything on this show, but <laughs> uh, it does seem to be some kind of uh, offering to the, the old spirits or something that, they're like you're saying, reuniting these pieces that have at least partially tasted victory in Detroit in the past. Yeah. So it's it's as it's as exciting a time as ever for a mechanics fan. I, I'll say that if there's any time to be hyped about this team, I think it is coming into the 2022 season. The mechanics fan, the one that's out there listening. <laughs> the mechanics to fan. How's it going? Exactly. <laughs> No, but I, I'm excited. I, I do think that the, I agree with you that these signings make them that much more spicy. Just wondering what like a full roster, their full assemblage of talent will look like against another central right. division team. And just, you know that they're going to roll in with Moxie if they show up with one of those full full strength rosters. Yeah. Like they're going to want to pick teams off. And so I just, yeah. I, I wondered like, what it will come down to in those matchups. If it will be a strict talent matchup sort of thing where it's Bansfield overwhelming people, or if it will be more, can Detroit sort of manage their, their own sort of, you know, crackling enthusiasm about we're finally going to do this. We're finally going to break the streak, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I'm also, I'm also just curious if they'll win multiple games this season. Like if they're not just, all right. If I'm just saying if like in those two, we got to get to one. If they're, if they're not just leaning on Bansfield every game, but if they actually like develop this nice system with all these new pieces. And of course, like we don't know how many games all these guys are actually going to play, like what their week to week roster consistency will look like. Um, So yeah, it might just be loaded up you know, just for the games they feel like are winnable, but I don't know. I look, I'm, I'm just excited. I, I like all their signings so far and I, I like the direction they're going two games. It's not out of question. 
but I, I would like to see one first as well. They haven't won two games in five years. <laughs> it's been, you a know, while. like they're, they're due. Saying, they're like, due for a two win season. It's true. Lord knows it's true, but it's no, just that's not, not my, really my, been bore out in the data, you know? Yeah, I'll make my official prediction for the record at some point in the near future. But right now, I'm, Are we I'm doing that. I'm just Are getting we doing that on the show. Are we going to run down teams and say records? Yeah, we might as well. I feel like yeah. that could be a good episode. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, but I don't know. Right now, I, I, I'd, put them, I'd put them at one win right now. One with, and 11. With like a like 60% confidence, which is pretty good. 60% confidence that the Detroit mechanics who haven't won a game since 2017 are going to win a game in 2022. Who are they beating? I think they're beating Indy. Yeah. Rotor. I, I mean, I, I think, I think it could come like, I don't know if Indy will have their total complete roster for that game, but I just think there, there is going to be a time where the, the cards line up in the mechanics favor and they pull it off. So transitioning away from off-season news, kind of the waiver wire free agency, whatever you want to call it, um, we're going to be starting to talk about the new developments of stats that have been implemented on the AUDL.com website. Uh, There's been a whole slew of new individual and team stats added to the website, and we kind of wanted to take a quick walkthrough explaining a little bit of some of the stats you might see there, what they might mean, how they can be applied, uh, and then going through some of our examples of just sort of deeper stats that we like and examples of sort of storylines or teams or players that shine as examples of those deeper analytics. Um, Daniel, did you kind of want to start by going through the new stuff added to the player database and what terms to kind of look out for yeah for sure so a big new term and so all this you can see on the udl.com slash league slash stats or if you click on the stats button at the top of the menu um we're gonna go to player stats first so these are individual player stats and first big stat that has been introduced is this idea of offensive possessions which we'll then later use to calculate an efficiency stat. But basically, an offensive possession is recorded for a player if their team has possession of the disc and that player is on the field. So they don't have to have the possession of the disc themselves. It's just like when they're on the field, how many times does their team you know, begin a possession? Um, so some examples of possession leaders from last season... A lot of Raleigh guys because they, they played a lot of games and they played a lot of O points. Saul Yannick, Jacob Fairfax, Anders Jungst are the top three. Um, the next stat, we've introduced scores. And scores is, you know, it's a stat we've been referencing for a while now, but just to like make it official and it's now sortable in the league context, uh, scores are just goals plus assists. Um, they're referred to as points, I believe, in the NHL. We're going to call them scores because points mean something else for ultimate. So total scores, assists plus goals. Uh, again, I'll I'll rattle off some. Oh, sorry. I just realized I was sorted to flyers before. Uh, possession leaders are actually <laughs> Ben Yacht, Jack Williams, Brian Walsh of Detroit. Uh, score leaders for last season are Ben Yacht, Ryan Osgar, and Anders Jungst. 
So apologies on that, but the stats still still remain as I defined them. So I'll get partial credit on those. Absolutely. Uh, and so, as I mentioned with possessions, that sort of like informed this new offensive efficiency stat, which we'll call OF, O-E-F-F. Uh, OF, you know, rolls off the tongue well enough. So that's what we'll refer to it as. And this is the the percentage of the time that the team scores while the player is on the field. And it's the denominator is possessions. So it's like on any given possession, what percentage of the time does that team actually punch it in for the score? And it's important to note with these individual stats, when we talk about possessions and offensive efficiency, it's actually any possession regardless of O-line or D-line. So it's just when the player's out on the field, this could be a D-line possession where they got a turnover. Uh, that still counts the same as a possession and it counts that the player is on offense. So this is really the number that tells you you know, how productive the offense is when they have the disc and this player's on the field. Um, so some quick leaders for that. We have Will Lindquist of the Atlanta Hustle who led the league in offensive efficiency with 68.9%. I'll, I'll interject here. I think you should probably distill this one down to uh, possessions of 200 or more. Uh, you want anything to put a minimum on that it? Kind sure, of, sure. What? Yeah, we can put a minimum on it. That's fair. Um, or 150 yeah, almost. That's about half games played. Yeah. All right. So if you, yeah, if you set the threshold at at least 150 possessions, we have Paul Arders, who led the league 67.16 offensive efficiency. So you, you have... could say, in other words, Paul, the Chicago offense scored on 67% of the possession, or, yep possessions that Paul Arders was a part of yeah and that's yeah that's whether or not it was offense or deal o-line or d-line if Paul Arders is on the field and your team has the disc Chicago basically had a 67 percent chance of scoring on that very possession which is a very high number Extremely. as you'll see we'll, we'll get we'll get into some of like the career totals um but yeah Paul Arders led the league then we had Yunks of course with Raleigh at just under 66%. And then Matt Guccio-Hannes, uh, who came in at 64.9%. So, you know, it makes sense to have super efficient offenses, you know, having their players represented on this list. Um, but yeah, I think it's that's a stat we're all very excited about just because it's, it's one of those stats that, you know, even if the player themselves aren't scoring a ton, if they're not getting a ton of assists, a ton of goals they can still stand out through the stat. Like Matt Guccio-Hannes only had 47 scores compared to 84 for Yunks and 51 for Arders. So it's just like another opportunity to call out specific offensive players that, you know, might not show up as much in the score sheet, but um, obviously are, are key pieces to their respective offenses. Um, and then I think the last totally new stat is this idea of hucks. So we have hucks sortable now, and it's completed hucks. And those are any throws of over 40 yards or 40 yards or more downfield. And that's in the vertical dimension. So like horizontal yards don't matter. This is vertical yards we're talking about. Anything 40 plus yards counts as a huck. So we have huck and then huck percentage, which is huck completion percentage. Uh, the leaders in completed hucks, Austin Taylor of Atlanta, 
Brian Walsh of Detroit, and Johnny Mox of the DC Breeze. And then uh, those guys had respective Huck completion percentages of 72% for Taylor, 80% for Walsh, 73% for Mox, which all very respectable um, when you think about like the difficulty in theory of completing a 40-yard throw as opposed to you know the 10 or 20-yard so this is a great stat to really call attention to the guys that are pushing their offenses downfield vertically um i think it's little surprise to see austin taylor at the top of this list if you watched any atlanta hustle games last year he was kind of their their true motor and field stretcher from the backfield yeah he had a money ball deep you know like you could just (laughs) see the way in which his throws constantly gave Atlanta a vertical dimension that a lot of teams didn't have. Yeah. I he's so fun to watch. And I love when like a new stat pops up it, and it's like, oh yeah, that that makes sense. When it just totally supports what you've been seeing all yeah. year. So, well and I think that's what's yeah. nice about OF too. We were I was raving a couple weeks ago on this podcast about Matt Smith's career OF numbers and online too. Um, just how over time and throughout his career, he's sort of always been this player on the cusp of all AUDL teams. And, you know, obviously one of the greatest scores the league has ever seen, but it, it still feels like there hasn't always been a way to encapsulate his productivity in an offense, right? And then all of a sudden we have this OF number and you go and you sort by total scores all time and you see that he's like two or like a standard deviation beyond the norm as far as his all-time OF number in comparison to other all-time scores. Um, it, it just, like you're saying, it's nice when these numbers correlate so much to what we see in person and what we watch on film. For sure. And you obviously also see a lot of correlation with uh, completion percentage too. So like guys that don't turn the disc over a lot. Obviously that gives their offense a better chance of scoring on that possession. So seeing Gucci Johannes, for example, come in at number three for last season, like his completion percentage of 98.5%, uh, I think does a good job of backing up that number. I will say that's true. Most of the time I do have an example in a minute that will kind of disprove that. Um, yeah, there are, I, and that's one of the cool sure. things about OF is that, it generally tethers to completion and sort of overall efficiency. But there are these outliers of, you know, kind of more dangerous throwers and stuff who have higher hucking numbers, who are taking, you know, more chances, who still have a really high offensive efficiency rating. And it'll be interesting to kind of triangulate what that means over the course of the next season and years, you know. Like as we yeah. continue to develop these numbers and as we continue to see how they correlate to what we're actually watching, um, it'll be interesting to see how how we think of these numbers. For sure. Yeah, and I think there's always going to be like some outliers and, and yeah, just different ways of interpreting the data. But the fact that we now have it to compare to other things like that and just, uh, just allows us to tell a, a bigger, more complete story of... And- you know, how a player performed. And it should be mentioned that some of the numbers are going to be 2021 and forward. So the yardage numbers, hucking, unfortunately, we just started tracking those numbers this year. 
Um, but yeah. offensive efficiency, possessions, scores, those all things are have been tabulated in the background of the stat keeping apps for years. And so those are reflective and accurate uh, on the all time lists. Um, and then did you kind of want to run through the team statistics as well? Yeah, I can. So, yeah, the team statistics, I mean, I... Like they were, they were great before. We had a lot of stats uh, to pull from. But now the, we're really getting into exciting territory, though. <laughs> the the added stuff because, I mean, basically, if you if you followed along to any of the game center pages from last season and saw the advanced stats that we were showing per game, you could see things like you know offensive holds and defensive breaks and see that really broken down game by game. We now have the ability to look at those things as a complete, you know, consensus of the entire season. So we have all of the hucking stats for the entire season now sortable. You can see which teams attempted the most hucks per game, which teams completed the most hucks. Um, and then also just efficiency when it comes to offense and defense and breaks. Like we now have the ability to sort all of that stuff. So just going down the line here. Uh, like I mentioned, Hucks, you can now sort the total Hucks. So we have Atlanta in first with 111 completed Hucks last season, followed by Raleigh with 106, followed by New York and San Jose tied with 95 apiece. Um, Huck percentage, which is the amount of Hucks they completed percentage-wise, Toronto, Ottawa, then Atlanta uh, are the top three. Toronto completed 84% of their hucks ridiculous in 2021 which is a ridiculously high number uh yeah just the idea that like oftentimes they were just better off stretching the field every possession is pretty nuts um the next stat definitely has been around but not in like a sortable way so this is offensive hold percentage which as opposed to offensive efficiency like we talked about with players where it the denominator of the percentage was possessions. This denominator is points. So it's O-line points, meaning it's the percentage of the time your O-line scores, regardless of how many possessions it took them to actually score. So it's just O-line scores divided by O-line points played. That's your offensive hold percentage. And the leaders in offensive hold percentage last season were Raleigh, 77%. Followed by Chicago at just under 77%, and then New York at 75%. So, obviously, you have three championship weekend teams. We know offense wins championships in the AUDL, so not too much of a surprise there. Um, the next number, which is a lot more corollary to the, the offensive efficiency number that I mentioned before for individuals, this is the O line conversion percentage, which the difference between this and the offensive hold percentage is that you're dividing the O-line scores by possessions instead of by total offensive points. So put so another this, way, this is yeah. just quickly put another way OLC percent or offensive line conversion percent factors in turnovers. Yes, exactly. So this is like given an offensive possession and this is specifically for the O-line this time, whereas with individuals, it was, it didn't matter. It was just whenever the player was on offense. This is O-line specifically. When the O-line has the disc, what percentage of the time do they score on that possession? 
So yeah, or what percentage of the time do they turn it over if you want to take the inverse of that? Um, so this is really like basically our new offensive efficiency number for teams, which is super exciting. And I think it's displayed in a much more digestible way where before we just kind of had this decimal that no one really understood. Right. Uh, but yeah, interestingly, so Raleigh was ahead of Chicago in offensive hold percentage. But when you look at O-line conversion percentage, which again, it's by possessions instead of by total points. Chicago is actually number one at 64.56%. Raleigh came in at number two at 64.46. So literally just one-tenth of a percentage point difference between Chicago and Raleigh. But Chicago had they had the more efficient offense when you're talking about total O-line possessions. Raleigh had the more efficient offense when you're just talking about offensive points. Um, and then New York was third again with a 61.2%. OLC. Um, then you can look at break percentage, flipping to the defensive side. So the break percentage we've defined as D-line scores divided by D-line points. So this is just what percentage of the time when the D-line is out there, do they get a break? Um, and the denominator is points. So it's like when the D-line pulls, do they end up scoring that point? Yes or no. Uh, the leaders in break percentage were Madison last year. They broke on 36% of their D points, followed by DC, 34.4%, and Chicago coming in at number three with 30, about 31% break percentage. Um, and so now the as we had hold percentage and OLC percentage for the offense, we have break percentage and DLC percentage for the defense. And DLC percentage is the, the D-line conversion percentage, which is D-line scores divided by D-line possessions. So, so whereas the break percentage was D-line scores divided by D-line points. Yeah, go it's ahead. A, it's just important to note here, DLC for the team we're talking about is not defensive efficiency. It is, Correct. It is how often your defense scores when it gets the disc. Yes. When they have the disc, what percentage of the time do they punch it in on that possession? So correct. it's basically the offensive efficiency for your, your D line after a turnover. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. So that's DLC percentage. The leaders last year, again, Madison at the top, 56.9%, followed by DC, 54.7%, followed by Chicago at 53%. Uh, the final number for the offensive side of things, at least. Uh, is the red zone conversion percentage, which, again, this was available in the advanced stats if you looked game by game last season in the game center, but now we have it sortable for a full season. So red zone conversion percentage. The red zone is defined as possessions within 20 yards of the end zone. So basically, if the offense gets gets the disc within 20 yards of the end zone, how often are they punching in that score on that possession? Leaders, little surprise to see Chicago at the top with 87.4% red zone conversion percentage, followed by Raleigh at about 84%, followed by DC at 82.6%. Uh, so <laughs> the cool thing here is that all the stats we just said, you can also look at the opponent side, meaning I can look at opponent Huck percentage or like Huck percentage against basically. I can look at opponent hold percentage, you know, hold percentage against. However you want to frame it, we now have a tab 
within the team stats to switch to, you know, all these against versions of the stats. Am I explaining that well enough, Adam? Do you want to give some examples maybe? Well, opponent red zone conversion percent is one of my favorites. So you can see how often opponents convert against your red zone defense. Surprisingly, number one in 2021, the Austin Soul uh, at 72.25%, followed by the Union at 73, Aviators at 73.2, and the Windchill at 73.6. So pretty pretty tight at the top, um, but just interest, interesting to see who kind of has a bend-not-break defense right around the goal line. Um, yeah. And then the true, I think, gem of this is that we now also have a true defensive efficiency number. And how you find that is by, again, going to the opponent tab in the team stat sheet and going to opponent OLC percent. And that will give you, if you invert the number from how it is sorting. So in 2021, the Breeze had a 45.79 opponent OLC percent. If you invert that number to have 54%, that is the Breeze's defensive efficiency number in 2021. So yeah, 54% of the time, the DC Breeze defense faced uh, an offense. They denied a score, correct? Yes. Yeah, basically the offense, or the, yeah, on that possession, the offense turned it over 54% of the time, right? Against That's another way to say any, it. Yeah. Yep, yeah. against any DC Breeze D-line possession. <laughs> Which is very high for them yeah. to turn it over more than half the time when DC pulls, basically. So um, you can you can now kind of surmise the, the pressure that a defense has in addition to its takeaway ability and its, its sort of limitations on how many completions it allows, what it allows in the red zone. There's just going to be so much more to plow through as far as how teams are doing. Yeah, and I think the the stats that existed before can be very telling on this other side now too. So like we we always had, you know, completions per game and total completions for teams, but now seeing completions allowed per game, completion percentage allowed per game, that just it gives us more information to talk about the defenses as much as we can talk about the offenses, which is cool for a sport where, you know, blocks or previously our main defensive stat that we always come back to. We have a lot more stats to play with, which is awesome. Yeah. And kind of making a bridge, uh, we each have three sort of deeper dive stats we'd like to share. And since you were just talking about completions allowed, I thought it was really interesting just to do a full sort on the all time teams page for most completions allowed. Uh, the Madison Radicals have allowed since 2013 36,700 passes against them. Obviously, we talk about the vaunted Madison zone defense so much, it makes sense that they would lead the league all time in that number. What doesn't make sense is how far of a gap it is between them and everybody else. Uh, number two all time is New York, who joined uh, the league the same year Madison did in 2013 and has actually played one more game historically than the Radicals. So the <laughs> Radicals have 36.7K passes against. New York has 31.4K. 
So a gap of 5,000 passes. In 2021, Raleigh had the most passes attempted or completions with 4063. Chicago allowed the most completions against at 4088. That means that you could just have Madison sit out for an entire season and they would still (laughs) hold a sizable gap on any team in completions allowed. Like it's just... It, it, they've they've essentially played like an additional season compared to anybody else in just raw passes face. Yeah, it's nuts. It's <laughs> it's pretty incredible. And like we said before, I love when stats back up. You know what we would think or what we've seen on the field. But I don't think we would we would have expected them to have that big of a gap between but, them and the next closest team with completions against. But it also just kind of confirms what we've you know. I, at least we've been talking about a Madison for damn near a decade, which is this sort of tectonic idea of defense, where if you just kind of push all of your analytics into a large enough umbrella where you start looking at meta trends, that you just want offenses to complete more passes, right? And if you look at Madison's defensive ranks all time, they're like number one in almost every category. But it kind of goes back to that, just completions number where they're just forcing also, you know, in inverse, they're forcing their opponents into an additional season of completions against just to work it against the Madison defense. Right. You know, like there's that much more attrition to every time you go out against the radicals zone look, or even sometimes their matchup. Um, It for sure. It's just really interesting to see, you know, that concept of you want, the opponent to throw more passes and now we have finally this this book this sort of like glossary that we can reference this index <laughs> and go oh yeah that like it, you know it just it, i think it means so much to the development of even what coaches are doing what sort of strategies work and what don't when you can extrapolate and see everything on this sort of larger timeline and continuum you know like what works over time Um, For sure. And I think it's also like Madison, as we've seen in recent years, even when they, you know, they they have lost a lot of pieces of that defense since 2018. But I think what they've proven time and time again is it doesn't really matter so much who their players are like this, this overall system that they have. It's clearly uh, been working and continues to work. I mean, just last season alone, they led the league in a bunch of these defensive stats too they were second in defense defensive efficiency behind dc like (laughs) right (laughs) they missed the playoffs but radical really yeah it's not going anywhere um i i want to pivot to uh an offensive stat please which is the fact that chicago finished as i mentioned before chicago finished with the best o-line conversion percentage last season or in other words offensive efficiency at the team level they finished 0.1% ahead of Raleigh that is the best single season o-line conversion percentage by any team in AUDL history so one could say they had the best offense we've ever seen uh last season when you're looking at a possession how likely it is the o-line scores on that possession no one did it better than Chicago last season uh which is cool, and it's also cool that, like I mentioned before, Raleigh actually had a better hold percentage than them. Basically, Raleigh was able to get away with more turnovers 
on offense and still come through with those points. But um, as far as possessions go, Chicago had them beat. Uh, when you look at the all-time <laughs> stats in for this category, like single-season OLC percentage, the all-time leaders, we have Chicago from this past season, then Raleigh from this past season, then New York from this past season, then Madison from 2018, and then DC from this past season. So four of the five top spots in best single season offensive line conversion percentage uh, just were, were set this past season, which just, it continues to back up the, the idea that this league is just getting better and better offensively. Every year we see, you know, more patient offenses, less turnovers, this is just a, another example of a stat that backs up exactly that. So it's it's amazing that, you know, Chicago finished with the best offense in history, but still didn't even make it to the championship game. Um, but, you know, all these teams that were right up there with Chicago, obviously, were extremely tough competition. So just a, a cool example of the, the recency of good offense in the league. I guess dovetailing off of that, my example is back to an individual, a player who played on, I guess, the second best offense ever <laughs> uh, in the 2021 yeah. champion Raleigh Flyers, uh, Alan Laviolette, who made all AUDL second team this year. Uh, he was fourth in OF uh, with among players with 200 plus possessions. He had a 64.3 rating in 2021 and you had mentioned a second ago that typically of correlates to completion percentage especially at the top end when you sort um laviolette is one of the ones who kind of defies that trend he was top 10 in hucks completed he was uh one of the yardage leaders in the audl uh he also had a boatload of scores 73 overall he finished with 45 assists to go along with 28 goals but he only had a 90.79 completion rating. But when you watched him play, when you watch film of the Flyers offense, their best version was running it through Laviolette basically as an initiating piece once they got mm -hmm. out of the backfield sets. And despite some of his turnover numbers, you always wanted him with the disc and you always wanted him kind of taking those shots. And this OF rating just kind of really confirms that because among players in the top 40 uh, of OF with 20 plus hucks, he has the highest OF of any of them. So among like players taking downfield shots, he has the highest rating. Uh, he's just somebody who I think you want with the disc at all times, pretty much, um, despite the fact that sometimes it leads to a turnover. Uh, and yeah. we've seen that so much with the way in which he plays. Right. I feel like it, yeah, even though his completion percentage was a good deal lower than a lot of that offensive line, it was kind of like, yeah, he he was that, that midfield striker and, and stretching the field so often with his throws that still f felt like a very central piece. Like, it's not like we would look back on the Raleigh team and be like, oh, they turned it over too much. Like, I think their hockey numbers were a big reason for their overall offensive efficiency. So I, I agree. I think he was a huge contributor to that. 
Um, sticking with Raleigh, just looking at their rookies, and a while back I wrote an article about like uh, a few off-season storylines to watch for. It seems like every single season, Raleigh just has this incredible crop of rookies that slot in immediately and just play like established vets and just immediately belong in the offense in like really pivotal ways. If you look at the top four players on Raleigh in offensive efficiency last season with a minimum of 200 possessions played, it three of the four are rookies. So LaViolette comes in at third, but first it's Jungst, then Guchohannes, and then after LaViolette, it's Matt McKnight. So I'm just, I continue to be blown away by the Raleigh system and just the way they seem to have this endless supply of young players, which makes them terrifying to think about for the future. And even looking at the efficiencies beyond McKnight, like Elijah Long isn't too far down. And then Fisher, Eric Taylor, and Solianic, like, you know, all those guys mostly just, uh, I think all of them except technically Yannick were rookies in 2019. So just so much young talent that they are going to continue to build around that clearly, uh, you know, good things happen to their offense when these guys are on the field. And I think that those OF numbers reflect that for sure. I'm, but I'm at this point, I'm just excited to see who they reveal finally for 2022. Did Durs have the best rookie season ever? It's a great question. I really want <laughs> our next scores. our next sortable next sortable thing. I would love to be able to sort by rookie seasons and just go down the list. Um, I mean, at least like in recent history, it feels like he did, right? I I don't think anyone surpassed his OF rating. I mean, it's insane. What was it? Sixty seven. Sixty five point seven for the yeah. amount of possessions he played on. Like it. Again, it correlates to what we saw all season, which was that he was probably the best finisher in the half-field set of anyone in the league, and he just kind of put a coffin nail in to any drive that Raleigh wanted to end. Um, I don't know. There hasn't really ever been a player exactly like him before, and to think that it was just his first season, it's kind of hard to even extrapolate from. Right. Although Paul Arders, the one guy higher than him in offensive efficiency last year, uh, was also a rookie. But obviously the scoring numbers couldn't really compare. I I felt like Ukes, I mean, from start to finish, he was, you know, so much of that Raleigh identity and so much of the glue between their backfield and downfield cutters. Like he he really did it all and it, that's like one of the offensive efficiency ratings that makes more sense to me uh, than anyone else from last season. Absolutely. Totally correlates to the eyeball test. Did you have a third stat you wanted to talk about? I did. I had one more stat and this is a a weird one. (laughs) So just prepare yourself. This is my weird one for last two. Yeah, this is a a good, not not good, but good as an interesting, a good New York Empire stat. Um, Against the Empire last season, teams averaged the fewest turnovers per game. In other words, you could say New York uh, forced the fewest turnovers per game. And this is counting not only blocks, but also just, you know, throwaways. 
uh, any turnover, the Empire, worse worse than the Mechanics, worse than the Thunderbirds, worse than Boston, the, low, the fewest turnovers in the league per game were allowed by the New York Empire. And I, I was just thinking of this stat, like, I think it is true that they don't have some of the defensive pressure, you know, quite to the degree we see from DC or Raleigh, but you know, they still have these defensive playmakers and you'd think just having Babbitt and cats lurking around and now Brownlee, uh, you know, just the, the amount of pressure opposing offenses should feel, but you know, just did not result in a lot of turnovers this season. Part of me wonders if that's just teams played New York this past year and we're like, we have to be totally on top of our offense and like really limit our mistakes because we're out of this game. If we can't do that, like they just knowing that the empire offense has as much firepower as it does and as much consistency as it does, maybe teams just played up to the empire's level. Um, So I am curious how much of it is that and how much of it, was a lack of defensive pressure. I mean, my my instinct is to say it was just a little bit of both. But even historically, like I was looking back, New York is really never towards the top of the league in opponent turnovers per game, which is interesting. And it's it's cool because it it gives them room to grow in a sense. Like I, again, backs up why I think Antoine should be playing on their D line. I think that number would definitely go up if he's out there on defense, but yeah, it's just interesting. Like it's, it's such a super team and such an imposing team offensively and defensively, but they're not actually forcing that many turnovers. I mean, we, we kind of saw that in the championship game and even against Atlanta, you know, their comeback against yeah. Atlanta wasn't so much their defensive pressure as their O-line just started to convert and convert and convert in that second half. Um, right. Yeah, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd still, I was still surprised to see them, you know, dead last or, you know, first, depending on the direction you look at it in the category, like worse than the mechanics. Oh, um, yeah. It's just, just interesting. Anytime you're below the mechanics in turnovers for essentially. <laughs> it's notable. It's peculiar yeah. that you would make it to a championship game. <laughs> right. But it's That's also just, pressure. you know, it's it's more credit to their offense. Like right. the fact that they accomplished that despite their defense only forcing 16 and a half turnovers per game. It's it's pretty amazing. That's a tightrope walk. It's scary to think <laughs> really that if they tick up that number to maybe closer to 20 a game. What kind of uh, potential they'll have in 2022. Yeah, scary. So I went in a completely different direction. Uh, We now have all-time sortable pulling stats, uh, at least the beginning of (laughs) it. Love it. it. So uh, first all-time, the only person to reach the 1,000 club, uh, Peter Graffy with 1041 in 78 games played. Uh, Nick Hutton at number two with nine twelve. Sam Van Dusen at number three with seventy forty six. But he's done it in only fifty games. He's actually second all time, averaging almost fifteen pulls per game. Uh, the only person ahead of him has played like five career games or something. So it's a vastly diminished uh, number. I, I would pretty much say that Van Dusen is 
the all-time yucker or like the all-time shooter award uh <laughs> he led the league yeah. in 2021 with 200 pulls so he could potentially leapfrog hutton depending on how active hutton is with pulling this year he he's been a little less active in recent seasons as much as he was kind of in the middle of his career a few years ago um but one thing to watch is if graffy's number at 1041 which will probably hold it sounds like graffy might be retired once and for all quote unquote this year but who knows uh <laughs> we don't know. it'll be interesting to see if someone can summit him at number one uh and just how the all-time pulling numbers develop uh as we in- mentioned earlier marcus brownlee's development as a puller he actually sits seventh all-time and was second in the league mm-hmm. in 2021 so he could potentially leapfrog into the top five or so with another strong season with the Empire. Uh, another interesting nugget from the all-time polar list. So on the first page sort, which goes 20 deep, uh, only five players have a career completion rating above 90%, meaning that if you're pulling the disc, you are a shooter if you have it on a D-line. <laughs> like, they're just... Not too many pretty uh, OF numbers on this page. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get that it's it also nicely. a lot of defensive players, but it's just funny to see how far below the qu- kind of quote-unquote Mendoza line a lot of the, the pulling throwers are on the all-time list. Yeah, I mean, it It does kind of make sense because typically your D-line doesn't have the, the same throwing talent as an O-line, obviously, and the throwing talent it does have you know, their best, most furthest thrower is the guy off and pulling. And that means that's going to be their their deep threat with the disc in their hands when they have the disc. So uh, it makes sense. Like, I, I expect these huck numbers to be decently high as well as far as attempts go. Um, but yeah, it's definitely... I, I like being able to sort pulls. And, and these other sets that we've had, like pulls, uh, throwaways, stalls, drops... Callahan's even these were all stats that we could see on individual player pages hockey assists too for all the hockey assist fanatics out there um not not us but now we have the ability to sort these things in a you know career or single season context which is awesome because before I feel like pullers you don't really know who the top pullers were unless you just watch a lot of games um so you know being able to quickly look at a snapshot of who each team's you know primary pullers are i think that's uh just interesting it's another another stat nugget for us to pull from one could per se sort by all-time throwaways too or drops but you know we <laughs> didn't want to take the space of this podcast to talk about any of that stuff uh but there is a pretty interesting all-time shooter list with just who has the most throwaways all time uh a lot of the top <laughs> getters are on that list so do you want to you want to read it off real quick? No, 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 no. Sure. I think I okay. think it's a, a an exploring your own time adventure for the yeah, yeah, yeah. To, people to delve into. People can so see, you should go to the website, themselves. go to com backslash league back, backslash stats, and you can find the player and team stats pages that we've been talking about. There's also been developed uh, team game stats, so you could see a team's game by game 
uh, advanced stats for a particular season. If you want to go back and look at kind of the game by game approach for the Flyers throughout the 2021 championship run per se, mm-hmm. um, those are now available. And that's really interesting to kind of comb through to see like when teams sort of caught fire when they're maybe in lulls, uh, just again, so much more granularity to the kind of coverage. And I think uh, just, yeah, development of the the AUDL league. Um, it's really exciting yeah. stuff. I know we've been nerding out time. now for damn near an hour, so we should wrap <laughs> also up. also we uh, like these stats can get super confusing if you're unfamiliar with them. So please reach yes. out to us for any clarification. Uh, you know, please. I I want everyone to be able to use them and understand them as clearly as we do. I mean, and we're still kind of learning how to. <laughs> look at them and apply them correctly Clearly. so um yeah <laughs> if you if you have questions please feel free to reach out to us on twitter or however yeah daniel makes a great point uh you can reach us on twitter i'm at huck ruffner r-u-f-f-n-e-r and he is at it's daniel cohen uh c-o-h-e-n for cohen uh thank you all for listening and we'll be back again next week wednesday 